possibilities. The Palace Theater, your palace, your place. Shows for the whole family. Waterbury Palace, your palace, your place. Good Friday morning, everybody, and welcome again to this edition of Your Palace, Your Place, presented by the Palace Theater here in Waterbury, Connecticut. I'm Sherry Marcucci, your host, and happy to have this 50 minutes to share with you things that are going on at the Palace Theater, things that are going on in the arts community around us, share maybe some pop culture or fun information, and just have a nice conversation, and I hope you enjoy the show I hear on the street from some of you and I'm glad to get that feedback and today we have two major interviews that are taking place uh, one is with a gentleman who is going to be presenting this coming Tuesday evening at our new series second act which is a storytelling series or a speaker series but I like to say it's a storytelling series and the gentleman is um, Martin Herman and we're going to be hearing from him in just a bit and he's got some mysteries to talk about as well as some other things but second act for those of you who might not know is a storytelling series for people who are doing some extraordinary things in the second acts of their life and whether you're uh, doing that at 40 or 50 or beyond we want to hear from you so and we'd love you to participate as well and come and be a part of the second act wave. Also, uh, someone who I've wanted to have on the show for a long, long time in our uh, second half of the show is Kelly Lambert, who many of you know, we recognize that name. She's a writer, a music columnist, a mom, and a professor, an adjunct adjunct professor for Post University. So we're going to chat with Kelly and see what she's been up to and talk about music. Speaking of music, Okay, we have had so much going on at the Palace already this season, but also coming up soon, let's see, we have Delbert McClinton tomorrow night, October 20th. You know, he has a cult following, and if you are a real music person, you know this name, you'll want to be here. People follow him all over the place. I know locally there's some people, I know Mickey Albini, if you're listening, I know she's one of them, who just Really, really love him, his music, and you'll want to be there tomorrow night at the Palace Theater for that, Delbert McClinton. Also, we have a tour today at uh, 11 o'clock. If you've always wanted to take a tour of the Palace and see some of the -the behind-the-scenes stuff, you can take advantage of that today. Just show up at 11 o'clock. It's very inexpensive. $5 will get you in, and you'll get to see some of the hidden places that you normally wouldn't. We also have a Palace History class starting for five weeks, and it begins on October 26th. And that's a more in-depth five-week class that will show not only the hidden places, but really delve into some of the history, not only the building, but also the people that have played the building. What else do we have? Oh, coming up in November, we have Nancy Schuler, a name you might remember. She's our, our second act series presenter in November. And then, of course, we have the iconic Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer, the musical, coming up November 30th and December 1st, which is part of our Webster Broadway series. So a lot on, on deck coming up. Oh, and I forgot to mention, how, how could I forget to mention, on November 20th, 
the one, the only Bob Dylan will be playing the palace, his return engagement after 43 years. So the last time he was there is 1975. So a lot going on. And I'm going to take a quick break. And then we're going to have our first guest, Martin Herman, coming up right after this. Entertaining new possibilities. The Palace Theater, your palace, your place. Shows for the whole family. Waterbury Palace, your palace, your place. Entertaining new possibilities. The Palace Theater, your palace, your place. Shows for the whole family. Well, I'm delighted today to be exposing our audience to a gem of a person that I've had the privilege of getting to know actually long before the second act series was even a twinkle in anybody's eye or in our thought processes. I had the pleasure of meeting our next guest, Martin Herman or Marty, who is here with us in studio today. So first, let me just say welcome, Marty, to your Palisher Place. I am delighted to be here. Well, thank you. You know, we met and let me tell the story just to give a little background. I went to the Big E with my husband to years ago. Believe it or not, I had never ever been there. That's like, where have I been? But anyway, we went and we, of course, ate our way through the Big E, but came upon this wonderful table featuring Connecticut authors. And you were sitting there and you were so friendly and open. And then you said the magic word to me. You were a mystery writer, which I love mysteries. So I bought one of your books that day. And that's how we met. Unknown to me, however, my husband, Sneaky Pete, that he is and a great gift giver, he contacted you and ordered two more of your books and gave them to me that Christmas. So I had the collection of your first three books and we'll get to talking about them. So um, so a couple of years go by, and now this idea for Second Act comes to fruition, and I'm trying to think of people that I might know. Your books are still on my coffee table, even though I've read them. I, <laughs> and they're still there. And I remember reading your bio, and I thought, oh, this guy would be a great person to see if he'd be interested in being one of our presenters. So I found you on Facebook and uh, and you were you responded right away. I explained who I was and how I had read some of your books. And I told you the idea. We talked on the phone. Lo and behold, here you are getting ready to be our next presenter for our new Second Act series this coming Tuesday evening, October 23rd. So welcome. My pleasure to be here yeah, again. And, and so let's let's talk a little bit about you and how you got to this second act and you you told me something interesting and I'll let you share about that this is only your second act there are many more to be had but you started out life where I was born grew up in Brooklyn New York and I went to school in probably one of the oldest buildings in New York they claimed it was a, a hospital during the Civil War it was an old wooden building wow. PS 16 okay. and I had a teacher who was very supportive, and she thought I had talent for writing. Wow. Even back then? Even then. Okay. It was an interesting class, if we can quickly go through it. Sure. It was a separate sixth grade class. They called it the IGC, Intellectually Gifted Children. It was an experiment in Brooklyn. Interesting. And they did things that other classes didn't do. You had to read a book a week. 
Every Friday, you had to have an exactly 30-second review. Couldn't be 28, couldn't be 32. You were judged on 30 seconds to pace yourself. Wow. You had to make a three-dimensional book report, and you were graded on the originality and the book and how you reviewed it. And I worked. I've worked since I was eight years old. And so I was an avid reader, but I couldn't read a book a week while I was working. And so the first week, it was easy. I did a book I had read recently before then, went like duck soup, no problem. (laughs) Second week was a problem. And it was now Thursday night. What do I do? And so I made up a story. And I made up an author, and I don't. I know I couldn't get away with it today because you go to the <laughs> internet, right? But Mrs. Avendola was a very bright lady, and I can't believe she didn't know what I was doing. Mm-hmm. I delivered my report. I kept <laughs> watching her eyes, didn't blink, and this went on for the whole term. The oh. last day of the term, she pulled me aside in the morning and she said, uh, when everybody else leaves, I'd like you to stay after class a little. And I figured, oh. The gig is up. And the bell rang. It's the last day of school freedom. Mm-hmm. The kids rushed through the door. She waited, closed the door, walked towards me, sat on the desk. And I figured, this is it. Mm-hmm. And she said, I think you have talent. And I'm not sure I heard what she was saying. I saw her lips moving, but I was frightened out of my (laughs) gourd because I knew the gig was up. And finally, she must have repeated it nine times. And uh, she said, I do think you have talent. And then she added, I've been wrong before. (laughs) Many times. Let's find out if I'm right. And she said, I'm going to give you a homework assignment. And I said, but Mrs. Abendola, school's over. She said, think big. This is not for school. This is for life. I want you to write a story every week from now on. doesn't have to be long. It can be as short as you want, but it needs to have at least one character that even if you don't like him or her, you care what's going to happen to him or her. I missed a few weeks, not a lot. By eighth grade, I had sold my first short story to a magazine. Amazing. But not under my name. I never wrote under my name until I was 75. The first book, the one that you bought at the Big E, Mm -hmm. was published the February of the year I turned 75, and it's only because my daughter really pushed me. That manuscript sat on my in a box on a wall in my house for 10 years. Oh my. And my daughter uh, found it, and she said, you know, this is really good. And I said, you know, what are you supposed to say? You're my daughter. And then she said, uh, ask a stranger. Well, I worked with someone who was an avid reader. He didn't like me, and I didn't like him. <laughs> But he always had two, three books in his attache case. I took my name off of the manuscript. I uh, printed it out and sent it to him. About a week later, I got a call from him. This thing you sent, no hello, no how are you, no drop dead, nothing. (laughs) Just this thing you sent me. Who wrote it? And I said, I did. And he started to laugh. He said, you could never have written something this good. (laughs) Love it. Tell me, who wrote it? And I said, I did. And uh, I, I remember it like it happened yesterday. He said, uh, okay, let's, let's discuss the rules of the road. I'm going to ask you the question again. <laughs> You're going to give me an answer. If it's the same cockamamie answer you've been giving me, I'm going to hang up. Well, he did. I did. And then he did and hung up on me. I waited a bit and then called my daughter and said, we're going to publish. But I'm not sure when I want to do that. 
months went by. Just after Thanksgiving of 2014, Amy called and said, I'm coming up for Christmas. Great. For one thing, we're going to get your book ready for publication. I oh. said, no, I, you know, we're going to do it. And she hung up. And she never, to know my Amy, she's not confrontational. This is my Amy. That's your Amy. Well, we should talk a little bit because Amy is a published author and was she already a published author when she was having this conversation with exactly. you. So she knew um, from when she spoke. So Well, that was uh, by Christmas of 2014. It was ready, I guess. <laughs> by February, it was published. I self-published. Okay. And it's now going into its eighth printing. Wow. That's a great, great story. But well, let's, the audience doesn't know what your first act was. So talk a little bit about what you did in your life. We heard about your wonderful teacher, Mrs. Abendola, yes. who, you know, everybody should have a Mrs. Abendola, <laughs> really, honestly. I've had some of those types of teachers. They and so many lives. And we, we don't treat teachers as well no, as we No, we don't. You're absolutely right. I have and a theory. I, and we should call them baseball players so we can pay them more. <laughs> I love that. Love that. But so you went on to have a, a very successful yes. career in the business realm. So what were you doing before you were Well, an I started, um, I, I've been working since I was eight. By the time I was 20, I was turning small businesses around. And it started as a fluke, but it, it ended up. By the up, time you were 20. By the time I was 20. You Well, you were in that talented and gifted class for a reason, Marty, when you well. were uh, eight years old. I mean, people saw something in you. And you know, by the way, listeners, he has got such a nice demeanor. A really, you're just very engaging, very um, warm and friendly. You're <laughs> He's gazing at his wife who's sitting here. Who can tell you the truth? <laughs> a little chuckle. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> but um, I can see why you've been successful at things in life because the way you treat other people, and, and it's very evident that you're just a warm human being. So Tell her, tell her. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure she knows. And so for um, the first act, as you would call it, mm -hmm. I turned companies around. At the beginning, I wasn't great, but I was able to turn companies around. And towards the end, I think I got better because doing it over and over again, for the last 25 years or so, I, I did it as a, a consultant. Now I'm all of a sudden a writer. It's interesting to me. And that's what I hope people who attend your second act talk, which you're going to hear a lot more detail when Marty talks at the Palace Theater's Polite Club, Tuesday evening, October 23rd at 6 p.m. He's going to tell you the whole story, and including, I'm sure there were some other twists and turns along the way um, that led you to now you have a, a four-book mystery series, yes. right? And it started with, as you mentioned, the first one, The Jefferson Files. And fans of historical fiction, you will love this because you weave that into this book so well. Thank you. And I, I, I love that. I love when history meets a, a good fiction story and there's intrigue. And so if, you, if you're a fan of, and there's another author who's Richard Martin? Martin, that 
your work is somewhat reminiscent of if you so I'm just saying to people if you like that kind of a story where the history gets woven in and and um, you will love this book the Jefferson Files by Martin Herman and then the Hidden Treasure Files and that was another one familiarized me because I read that one well when the first book finally um, was printed and the first box of books came home I read it as though I had never seen it before it was quite exciting it is oh. exciting Oh, to see sure. your name on a book. I liked to think that I created characters that had more of a beginning, middle, and end than one of the characters in the book turned out to be the one who owns a um, uh, an book. antique store. Oh, I love that. And I, I promised that myself promise. that if I write another book, which I wasn't going to at that point, somehow I will give would give him a life. I wandered around for a couple months thinking of another book, and in in my home, I have a permit that allowed the holder to make alcohol legally during prohibition. And the minute I saw it, I said to That's myself... Right. That's the second book. Yes, I and remember. So it's coming back to me now. Became a permit in a in a terrible old frame. That yeah. prior to an auction, the auctioneer, the owner of this shop, was using to prop open the window in his study. That's how little he thought of it. And mm-hmm. when it was time to put it up for auction, he started the bidding at two dollars, and within minutes. Two different people bid it up to $100,000, and that's how the hidden treasure starts. What did they know about it? What did he not know about it? And how could it possibly be worth so much? Yeah, what a great premise for a story. And I, I, if, I, if, if I remember correctly, somehow it zigzagged across the country a little bit, and it wasn't there... It will take. I don't want to give it away. Well, it takes you to the Ukraine. It starts in Brooklyn, New York. Yes. It it will take you to the Ukraine, Germany, China, before I bring you back to Long Island for a resolution. There it is. There. I knew there was another (laughs) city in there somewhere. Okay. Okay. Well, you know, I'm I'm depending on my memory from like three years ago. But and so that's number two, and then the Sweet Revenge well, Files. It led to the third book, The Sweet Revenge File, because there was such a delicious criminal in the hidden treasure files. Just a, the kind of a criminal from the Ukraine that needed another life. Mm-hmm. And so the Sweet Revenge File became uh, not one, not two, but three real bad guys. And the interesting thing is I'm getting uh, letters now from readers who are saying, I kind of pulled for him to succeed. Mm-hmm. Yep, yep. And, and, and that <coughs> led to the, the last book because something so traumatic happens to the lead uh, player in The Sweet Revenge Files that the last book so far in the series of The Return to Sender had to be. I had already started writing the next book, and I scrapped it because you couldn't just leave the lead character where I left him on The Sweet Revenge Files without picking him up here. And literally, he gets picked up here literally you care about all the characters you create i love them (laughs) i know it's evident it's evident marty herman you and i could talk for hours i know that but i unfortunately have to stay within a context and i do want to mention the other two projects quickly that you've also written books about one with your daughter and it looks like um 
looks like something I would really like. It's called A Spe- Very Special Dress, and it's a compilation of short stories. There's almost two dozen short stories in that little bitty book, and I wrote uh, I wrote about a third, Amy wrote about a third, and together we wrote about a third. Aww. It was the kind of a project that was just terrific. She is such a special young lady. Oh, how Mm, that a labor of love. Labor of love. Oh, that's I love that. And then this this last book. Well, the last one is a biography of um, Howard Hill, who has been a journeyman musician for sixty plus years. He turns ninety three on September twenty seventh. Played with Billie Holiday and Nat King Cole and Ella Fitzgerald and the Ink Spots and oh my goodness. but a nice guy. And Connecticut. He's he in, lives in Connecticut, absolutely. And, you know, somebody needs to, and you said it before we went on the air, you said, I didn't want his story not to be told. Somebody had to tell it. Exactly. And you were the one, you were the somebody. And I'm so delighted that you're going to be with us Tuesday evening. And if you're listening and you're saying, what are you talking about? I'm talking about the Second Act series, where we have a series of ordinary people doing some extraordinary things in the second acts of their life. And as Marty says, it's really you can have a third, fourth, and fifth if you decide to go and seek it. And he's so right about that. So whether you're 35, 45, 105, there's something that you can be doing that you're passionate about, that you care about, or something in your life, some circumstance that may have brought you to a place you didn't expect to be, but you turn that around. we That's what Second Act is about. And we have a um, kind of a coterie of people that we've assembled who are going to tell those stories. Marty Herman is going to be with us Tuesday evening. And for just $25, and here's a hint, if you're uh, an Ali member, which is local, owes your lifelong learning institute, or or if you're an AARP member, the evening is just $20 and you get dinner. And I mean a good dinner. So um, if you're interested, give us a call at the Palace Theater, 203-346-2000. Or go to our website at palacetheaterct.org to learn more about Second Act. Marty, it's been a pleasure and I can't wait to be with you again Tuesday Thank evening. Thank you so much, Sherry. Thank you for having me. My pleasure. The Palace Theater, your palace, your place Shows for the whole family Waterbury Palace, your palace, your place Waterbury Palace Entertaining new possibilities The Palace Theater, your palace, your place Shows for the whole And I'm very excited this morning to have a guest who I've actually wanted to get in here for a long time. And just serendipity (laughs) was a very serendipitous uh, (laughs) outreach. And I said, "Mm, Kelly, can you just uh, do an interview tomorrow? Like (laughs) it wasn't even a 24 hour period. And thank God. And I know her life is very hectic, but I'm happy to have Kelly Lambert Mm -hmm. with me in studio um, today for your Palisher Place. So welcome, Kelly. Thank you very much. Thank you for having me. You're welcome. And for those who are listening, I'm sure many of you know that every week in the Republican American, she has had a column, a music column, uh, for many, many years now. I think I've known you for a good 20 years, actually. I think it's been... About 25 years that I've 
probably, I don't know if I've had the column 25 years, but I've been at the paper, associated with the paper okay. for 25 years. Okay. So, so we've known each other that long because my life prior to the palace, I was still always bugging you people over in features. Yes. <laughs> for something. <laughs> so you live an extraordinary life in many ways. And I, I want to pat you on the back publicly because you are an awesome, She's the mother of twins who she has named the Twinkies. And you have a teenage daughter yes. who's a delight and is a real theater lover. Yes, she and is. And does she want to pursue that in some way? Actually, she wants to go into cardiology, believe it or not. But wow. But she's a musician, so she plays okay. uh, three different instruments and she's performed on stage. Wow, and um, her... And, Kaylin. Kaylin, thank you. Yeah, she's 16. Yeah. uh, But you are an awesome mom. And I know that um, balancing all that you do in your work life and you do a lot of freelance, you know. Yes. It's good and it's tough to juggle everything, but I think it works for your lifestyle probably. Yes, I can work after they go to bed. Yeah. And Um, I can work while they're at school and probably not work when they get out of school a little bit to shuddle them around to their activities, but it kind of works. And you're also an adjunct professor at Post University? Yes, I teach communications at Post University. Oh, wow, there's a... (laughs) (laughs) That's a no-brainer, but you must be awesome at that. And I asked you to be on the show today because we have... Have at the Palace Theater a lot of entertainment. This this year seems to be I don't know the stars all lined up or something. Right. Uh, we've had already some awesome uh, acts. You know, last month or a few weeks ago we had Alice Cooper and Diana Krall and Tower of Power. And coming up we have um, uh, the Bob big Dylan. Bob Dylan show. Bob yes. Dylan. Oh my. Uh-huh. <laughs> and um, I am just so excited about that. I just think that's such a cool thing right have him but you've had the experience of being able to meet in your work and interview so many people and so I thought you would be fun to have (laughs) on just to say you know talk about some of those experiences so my first question is I know you recently had you had a great experience with Thomas Rhett Oh, I went to see. I went to the Thomas Rhett show. Okay, yeah, and no, you got to meet. Him. No, I didn't meet Thomas Rhett. He, oh. he's one I have not met. Oh, I'm why trying did to think, I think that I've met other country performers. I happen to have kind of a thing for country right now. Yes. I go through stages in my life of music that I like. Primarily a rock and roll girl. You are, but uh, I I do as I age. <laughs> I guess <laughs> seem to have found this um, affinity for country, which I've always kind of liked, but now I like it more and more. And I feel that that part of the um, music industry is more what I remember music to be. They're very good to their fans, and uh, I love that. Um, and I feel like they uh, really appreciate the people that make them who they are. And they're always grateful to them. I love Brett Eldridge. He's one of my absolute favorites. Okay, so if you can get him to the palace, I'd love that. But, but well, I don't know. <laughs> you know. If he's listening, uh, you know, if his management team, yeah. we're always open. Yeah. So, um, well, so, okay. So let's go back a little. You, you're, as you said, a rocker. And you grew yes. up in the 80s. Yes. That's when you kind of formed your musical taste. Yes. Yep. So who back then was somebody you got to interview Okay. And, you know, you appreciate their music. Well, uh, my very first foray, I guess, into music writing, other than high school term papers, where I constantly compared lyrics to poetry and different things, uh, was after I graduated college, 
I you can it, you can yep. yes I okay. uh, I'm a husky tr- bleed blue true <laughs> and true um, I ended up uh, kind of like not in a recession I graduated so couldn't find jobs and different mm. things but I ended up with this little job at the Republican American writing obituaries which I was just informing Sherry about <laughs> and I hey, but I wanted everybody's gonna start yeah somewhere. I was young I was 22 yeah. years old and probably thrilled yeah oh yeah it was a great environment to be in but I secretly harbored this um, need to write about music and thought I would be at Rolling Stone someday ah. and I was seeing a lot of live acts and back then in the early 90s there was a lot of publications around like free publications you'd be in a club and you'd on the way out the door you'd see like a little magazine and so I picked up several of those and there was one that just so happened to have started and was looking for writers so I sent them off a few things and lo and behold they asked me to do more now I wasn't compensated for this work (laughs) we shall say but it gave me a lot of opportunity to interview a lot of acts that came through the area, like at Toad's Place and oh. up in Hartford. And there used to be a place called The Sting in New Britain. Back, One of my memorable moments from back then was there was there's a band called Rage Against the Machine. Oh, sure. That's rather popular. But at the time, they were just kind of on the cusp of becoming who they are. And I was able to meet them and play video games with them and (laughs) and we wrote a cover story on them and different you know different people from then so that's how kind of I got my start and then when the music writer who had my column previously left to the Republican American I kind of just handed this file of my clips to the editor at the time and said you know I know I might not be suited for a full-time features writing job right now but can I just have the music column Will you let me do the music column? And I laugh because I think the person at the time said, well, we'll let you do it on a trial basis. And then mm-hmm. they ne- like never told me to stop. <laughs> so, well, as long as they were so, paying you yeah, on a trial basis, so, that's really what matters. So I was, I was still like a clerk at the time doing obituaries, but I, I ventured into restaurant profiles and yeah. writing and then writing the music column. And it kind of progressed from there until I was a full-time staff writer at the Public American for 10 years until my 16-year-old was born. And that's when I left to be a freelancer. But I had many moments in those early days of trying to interview people. Um, well, a lot of it was on the phone at the time because we preview the shows like they come through the palace and different right. things and uh you know there was different moments where you're on edge are the people going to call they're on you know they're on the road i interviewed it's, a, a, it's yeah. tough you know people think oh it's simple to get an interview or or, or from my perspective like why don't they want to do an interview and it's an interesting dynamic some people just think my name sells i don't really need to do right. press. although they don't say that but their management team right says, right no no interviews and and then there's others who just they still want to do them and i love those people as i'm sure you yes. do People are surprising. Like some musicians are very chatty Mm -hmm. and some really are just doing it because they're being maybe forced to, you know, they know they have to do the the little Mm -hmm. dog and pony show is maybe they call it. But there's a lot of uh, really wonderful people in the business. How Um, do you get, okay, so you're an interview, you're interviewing someone and they're the one or one word answer person. Yep. Yep. I mean, have you run across that? And how do you, as an interviewer and a writer, get pull out what you need to make it interesting to your readers? Well, that's always a challenge. <laughs> uh, 
you you know you always go in hopefully with some research even if it's the most benign small thing that you've picked up of uh, like a wikipedia post or something that you want to verify or see if it's true i tend to try to start interviews by like breaking the ice that bit you know like where are you where are you calling from or how's the tour going or whatever and always in those moments, you always know their background usually because you've researched it. But when they start getting closed mouths or not mm-hmm. wanting to share, maybe that's where you head is like saying, well, tell me about the first time you ever picked up your instrument or the yeah. tell me questions are sometimes better than the questions that will get a yes or no. Okay. I think it's sometimes it how you word it within sure. the thing. Have you ever interviewed anyone who you either A, just didn't like their persona because you don't really know them personally, right. or you don't like their music? Well, yeah, I've interviewed a lot of people that maybe aren't my cup of tea, um, which is a little more difficult, I think. But I've had a lot of surprises, you know, like too. I have to say the most difficult people to interview, if I'm going to put like a blanket statement are comedians i find that comedians are very very smart people a very it's, they're very hard sometimes to interview because they're either they're either on you know on doing their act or they're just so serious because their craft is such a serious thing well almost so it's like hard. they're inside their heads yes i interviewed george carlin many 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 Ooh. years ago Ooh, when i was much which i was much yeah i might have even been for that show i can't even remember but oh it was that in the 70s that he was there i think he was there in the yeah, 70s he, yes but right. i i had interviewed him many years ago and he was a very tough interview he was very serious man but I'm glad I had the opportunity because he was George Carlin. Of I mean, course, who sure. wouldn't want to talk to George Carlin? Yeah. But then I've had the flip side where like Stephen Wright, who's was very fun to talk to because yeah. he's very much I think he's very real to who he is on stage. Mm-hmm. And he was all consumed with hearing me type on the other end of the phone because <laughs> a lot of times I type out my notes. Mm-hmm. And so he kept hearing the keys on the older computers that we had at the time and and, uh, and he was like, I hear you typing. And when I met him, I actually met him at the show that I was previewing. It was at the Warner Theater at the time. And he said, you're the one that was type- typing. <laughs> oh, my God. I'm like, that's what he's going to remember me for is typing on the uh, phone. So who who's your secret crush? Oh, <laughs> well, I, it's no secret that I'm a huge Rick Springfield fan. I, I was waiting for that to yes, come up. Yes, <laughs> I'm a huge Rick Springfield fan and have been since I was um I have a jacket I could sell you probably with his <laughs> name on. <laughs> I, I have loved him since a I was probably since he was on general hospital jesse's girl um and when i was that was one of my very very first concerts i ever went to and it just so happened that my parents were away my dad had a business trip and my mom went with him to chicago and when they they were flying back the night i was going to this concert they were on the same plane as rick springfield so my mother of course (laughs) recognizes him from my posters on my walls (laughs) And approached him and, and said, my daughter adores you and she's going to your concert tonight. And would you sign, like, got his autograph for me. And I was over the moon. Oh, wow. I was probably yeah. like, I think I was in seventh grade or something. Go mom. And, and so therefore, um, you know, I just, I've always had a, he's always had like a special place in my heart. Mm. And many years ago, I got to interview him on the phone. And I did meet him at the show that it was at. And I and I had laryngitis. I'll never forget it because I couldn't even like talk to him when I met him. But but I just really um, 
I think he's underrated. It sounds crazy, but I know he's a, been considered a teen idol. Yeah. But he's a fantastic performer, and he's yeah. a talented guitarist. And well, he did come to the yeah, and I and was there. there. I yep. know you were there. Yep. And he, I was amazed at his athleticism as he was jumping over seats. And yeah, really, he de- definitely gives a good show. Yeah. That's for sure. And and as a musician too, of course. But what impressed me was he was just given his all he does he, he has very cultish fans mm. that really follow him and love and love yeah. him so and i've seen him probably a half a dozen times over the years and we're all we're, there you know the, i would always go see him you know if he says he's coming to the area i will probably buy a ticket yeah. so mm. he's just somebody i've always loved and i've i've always loved you too that's been a big part of that was a big part of my high school youth i you know i think it was in a time when we didn't have cell phones and all of that at concerts. And, you know, you went to a U2 concert and you really were moved right, by their sure. music. I'm sure there's, you know, and there's many performers that have that to do that to people. But You're for me, it was mentioning something that's interesting when you just said it's a time we didn't have cell phones and people listen to the music. Are, are you, do you think today when people go to a concert and there's a different experience people are having he, I, I do and I think that um, and I'm guilty of it too you know like I like to take video and I, a lot of it too is my my kids at home my little ones don't go with me to these concerts mm-hmm. because that's just not appropriate for right, them sure. yet but especially my my little Carly uh, one of my twins loves country music so if I go to like a country show she wants to see what did I see you know who was who was it she wants to see it so I do take video but I do think we can get really wrapped up in the cell phones in the air and not feeling the live experience well you know it's funny you're saying that because I I I had that thought um about a recent uh event I went to and I you know I'm I'm like everybody is sharing these pictures but I'm like you're not in the moment with the people you're around then you're not really having the experience you're having yourself apart from that experience and it's like uh, uh you know i'm not suggesting we're going to change that but <laughs> i mean i, I don't know it, it it's is just a weird thing it is it's funny i have a lesson i'm teaching in my communications class this week about art and aura it's called you have to experience art in in its place and time not not in you know on a on a piece of film that the camera doesn't the camera doesn't capture what you're experiencing in person and that kind of goes very rings true to concerts and cell phones and it's not the same watching it on your phone as it is just being there and hearing somebody perform and seeing them sweat and run around and give it their all we were having a conversation too recently in the office i can't imagine there never being live theatrical experiences I just, because what can take the place of in the moment? And, no, yes. and that I, I'll never forget, I'll never forget the night I saw on Broadway Jersey Boys for the first time, and which is one of my all-time right, favorites. Right, right. And I could have reached out and touched that palpable thing that was happening between me and the people on stage. Yes, And not yes. just me, of course, the people around me. That's something you can't. I don't know how you could no, replicate you, you that can't. in any other realm. You can't, and it can't, and it has to exist. Just yes. like music has to exist. Sometimes my students laugh at me when I say, "Like we could not live without art and music," but um, 
Albert Rivera, who you've had at the Pulley Club there many, many times, um, the saxophone jazz saxophonist is yes. is a friend of mine, and and I consider him very wise. And he once said, "We couldn't live without music because, for one thing, we have a heartbeat. We have a beat in us. How could we not live without oh, music wow. around what a great us?" Analogy. I know, and that, that always stuck with me. And I, you know, maybe I'll maybe I'll tape this that. what's on the air and and share with him how that really stuck with me, but. He's a very um, wise musician that you've had there a few times there yes, at the have. Pulley Club. Yes, we have. our jazz series, yeah, which he, is a fabulous, yeah. fabulous program that Mike Gow from New England Arts and Entertainment has put together. And he's developed a cult following of yes. aficionados who don't miss one show. It's it's If you've never been to one of the jazz series shows, do yourself a favor. And we've had some really big yeah. names Oh, and it's a great ven- little venue. Like People think of the palace as the, as the theater, but upstairs yep. is quite... Upstairs. Intimate. It's so intimate. Yeah. The first time I walked in there for the jazz series, I hadn't seen it set up for the jazz series until that moment. I felt like I was walking into Birdland or somewhere in New York yes, City. It yep. has that intimate vibe, like almost like I felt, even though nobody, of course, smokes anymore, Yeah, yeah. I felt like there was that blue haze. Like, <laughs> yeah, you, you, it's the lighting. Like, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's the lighting. But, but it is like a hidden gem almost that I don't is. think people realize it is there. It's a great space. And that's where we're also holding our, which we we talk about today, our new second act series. Yes. And again, because the space is small, it gives you that intimate feel with what's going on on the stage. And some things just need that small intimacy. Yes. Other the big musical of course needs the big stage and that big performer needs the big stage the size of the venue definitely um lends itself sometimes to the performance okay one last question who have you not seen live that it's your bucket list oh i have one big one okay paul mccartney oh if there's anybody that i have to see it's Paul McCartney. There is no, I think I've seen just about anybody else, but I am a big Beatles fan. And, My husband too. And I, if I, I really have to make a point of going to see him. I missed him the last time he was in Boston and I swear I have got to go see him live. Did you see that great Facebook vignette with him and Jenny? Oh, yes. Yeah. And the elevators. I was crying. That was hilarious. In the one he did with uh, the carpool karaoke with James Corden. I was I was crying. Like, like, yeah, James Corden. I was actually crying because I was uh, seeing people who were so shocked to run into Paul McCartney that probably have loved him their entire lives. Yes. Was so emotional to me. Like, yeah. I mean, it was, yeah. The Beatles have done so much. Like, it, they are just, I, I can't imagine life without the Beatles. Yeah. Like, they just, they're, yeah. I have, they're probably in my top three. You know, I love you too. That's probably my number one, but um, yeah. the Beatles are, are close, very, they might be tied, actually. Oh, wow. So, Paul McCartney, I've got to see Paul McCartney yeah. live. Well, that's a great note to end our interview on. Um, I hope that your dream comes true, Paul McCartney. If you're listening to our (laughs) our radio program this morning, (laughs) Kelly Lambert wants to see you live. So anyway, Kelly, thank you for um, being a part of our chat this morning and uh, sharing some of your insights. And for those of you you that read Kelly, she's as delightful in person and on Facebook as she is (laughs) in her writing. So thank you again. Thank you very much. You're welcome. And we'll be back. Entertaining new possibilities. The Palace Theater, your palace, your place. Shows for the whole family. 
I want to remember to thank our sponsors for the Second Act series, the Connecticut Community Foundation, for supporting this program and being first on board to say, we like the idea, we'd like to help you get it off the ground. And also for the sponsor of the series, Peak Physical Therapy, right here on Chase Avenue in Waterbury. We appreciate their support. We know that it's been well-founded, so um, we want to just say, I want to say thank you to them. And that's about it for Your Palace, Your Place today. I'm Sherry Marcucci, your host. I want to thank you for listening uh, each and every first and third Friday of the month. And if you're looking to see what's going on around town, remember to check out palisaderct.org to see what offerings we have, as well as some of our neighbors and the many arts organizations that are in our region. We're very, very rich with art offerings and arts and culture. So, And you can also check out the ACC, the Waterbury Region Arts and Culture Collaborative, and see uh, lots of different things that are going on all over the region. So thank you again for listening. Until next time, uh, I remind you to stay tuned for your local news and Steve Knoxon coming up next with Talk of the Town. See you again. Bye now. Entertaining new possibilities. The Palace Theater, your palace, your place. Shows for the whole family. Waterbury Palace, your palace, your place. Waterbury Palace Theater, your palace, your place. Your palace, your place.